If Darwin had been alive today, he would probably have been a compulsive emailer and an avid fan of social networking sites. His Facebook contacts would have included naturalists and novelists, philosophers and physicians, jurists and geologists, clerics and gardeners, birdwatchers and businessmen, suffragists and sheep farmers, public figures and private individuals. He had an impressive global contacts list, 2,000 people that he corresponded with during his lifetime. What we know of Darwin's World Wide Web is largely thanks to the Darwin Correspondence Project, whose aim has been to locate, research and publish complete transcripts of all Darwin's letters. Alison Pern is Assistant Director of the project. Well, the Darwin Correspondence Project was founded in the mid-1970s by an American philosopher, Fred Burkhart, joined very shortly after that by a Cambridge zoologist, Sidney Smith, uh, it was based largely in Cambridge because Cambridge University Library has the world's premier collection of Darwin's private papers, including around 8,000 letters. However, when Fred started to look into this, he realised that in the nature of letters, of course, they're spread all over the world. They don't end up in one place. So the project spent its first 10 years searching for letters anywhere, anywhere they could be found, and also putting them into a rough date order. We have been publishing complete transcripts of all the letters that we can find since the mid-1980s, with all the notes necessary for a broad audience to make sense of them. The World Wide Web uh, offers us fantastic possibilities for introducing a much wider audience to Darwin's letters, and today our website has 5,500 complete transcripts of letters. But bear in mind that we know of... 15,000 letters altogether, so there's still quite a bit to go. Darwin's letters are actually spread around the world in about 200 different locations. Now that they're becoming available online, what are the challenges of researching and compiling such a vast collection for a global audience? We publish both sides of the correspondence, which is crucial to understanding the content. What you actually get is a series of conversations that run right through Darwin's working life. Now, that means, of course, that we're not just dealing with Darwin's handwriting, which is not very easy to read, but also with around 2,000 other different handwritings, some of which are even worse. So an enormous amount of work has gone into just creating good transcripts, which is, of course, the basis of any searchable form. You can't search bad texts. The letters themselves cover every subject that Darwin touched on, and he was an amazingly prolific writer, scientist, they also, of course, include a lot of information about his private life and the private lives of all his correspondents. So making that material truly accessible is quite a challenge. I think that the main challenge facing us now as we develop our web resource is to help all the different audiences, everybody from school children through students, researchers, to find the material that they are interested in, the material that will help them. Shelley Innes is a science historian working as a research editor on the project. She describes some of the initiatives that are being developed with outside partners to bring Darwin's work to life for today's younger audiences. We've been given funding through the British Ecological Society and we've been able to develop specific elements of Darwin's work and relate them to modern work and show 
basically a much younger audience what Darwin was actually doing. For example, some of the experiments that Darwin did, like testing seeds uh, for their viability after having been in seawater, it's very easy for young people to imitate those experiments. Darwin worked on insectivorous or carnivorous plants, and that's something that always is very interesting to young school children. I mean, everybody loves a carnivorous plant. <laughs> we can look at Darwin's work and how he went about doing it, and you can see how he came up with the questions that he asked. Not so much the answers, but the questions. And it's really about how science is done, how Darwin did science, how he did science collaboratively, and how he engaged other people in doing the science with him. And then not just stopping with Darwin, but carrying on into the present day and looking at it. For example, we've worked with a Brazilian ecologist who works on a topic that Darwin was interested in. And so he's developed the science further. And he's talked on our website about what he does. And he's also talked about how he got interested in ecology himself and how Darwin's work influenced him. There are also projects being developed for older students. We have contact with, for example, the Cambridge Biologists Forum, and that's a group of secondary A-level biology teachers. And we've had some of them in to look at some of our material, and they've talked about how excited they are about the possibility of using it and developing curriculum material that they can tailor to their own needs. One of the experiments which we'd like to have on the site is one which um, Darwin worked with colleagues both in Brazil and Germany looking at something called self-sterility in California poppies. And so he exchanged seeds with the scientists in both of these countries and we thought as schools are usually paired with other schools in other countries that schools could develop projects doing similar things. We encourage them to adapt the resource that we provide so that it's tailored to their own needs and to the specific technical facilities of the schools so that, for example, even the the most, the tiniest school could do a seed experiment because it doesn't require a lot of equipment. So much for Darwin's appeal to budding scientists – 